together coming to an understanding even if it takes a while she's liberal he's conservative but they're best friends you're known out figure it out in the end now hear me out everybody and welcome back to another episode of now hear me out i'm harriet berholtz and i'm here with my dad randy berholtz and we are so excited today to bring you a very special guest jessica patterson dad you have known jessica a lot longer than i have so i will let you do her her introduction take it away oh, great great uh jessica is the uh is the chairperson of the uh of the california state republican party and uh i normally sit on her right because that's where the secretary sits during our meeting so uh, uh i've learned to uh you know uh, uh you know i've gotten to uh, know jessica very well over the last year and uh jessica comes from a uh, a very interesting background uh, uh jessica is i i think jessica you are the first woman who is the chair of the party yes is that right in the state and uh, also i think the youngest and I guess the, uh, uh I the think first. actually Ron Nearing was the youngest. I think he was ah. elected at 36, well, but I'm just gonna um, say something. I am Ron the first not, millennial. Ron did not look what? the youngest. So let's just put it that way. But, uh, and, uh, <laughs> now Ron's a friend of mine. Ron's a friend of mine, but he's a good friend of us. No, he's a good guy. But, uh, uh, Jessica has a, uh, um, has a very interesting background, uh, 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 both as to who she is, where she's from, uh, and also as to uh, as to what she's done in, uh, on the political side. Um, and uh, welcome her to to the show, Jessica. What we typically like to do is to have the uh, the person then talk about themselves. So if you can maybe give us a bit of background uh, on you, uh, why the Republican Party, why this role, and uh, and just uh, just a little bit of background, and then we'll we'll ask questions then throughout. Perfect. Well, thank you both for having me. I think it is super cool that the two of you are doing this podcast together. Randy, as you know, I have two girls myself and the relationship with that they have with their father, the relationship that I have with my father, it's, it's so incredibly important. When we first found out we were having girls, our, our first, um, my, my husband bought a book called um, Strong Fathers, Strong Daughters. And um, I think that the relationship that girls have with their dads is so incredibly critical to the way that they grow up and the adults that they become. So I think it is very cool that you two do this together. My background, (laughs) my background really started um, in politics uh, in high school. And I grew up in a working class family. My dad was a truck driver. He was a UPS man, a package deliverer. He was a Eamster shop steward. He was incredibly involved with the labor side of things. My mom was mostly a stay-at-home mom. The jobs that she always had were within the school district, so she would have the same days off that we had off. And when I was in high school, I grew up uh, mostly in a city called Hacienda Heights. When I was in high school, my family moved 20 minutes uh, west to Montebello, which is just outside of East L.A., But the schools in Hacienda Heights were better than the schools in Montebello. So my mom would take all five of us kids and we would drive from Montebello to Hacienda Heights every day. Public schools or Catholic schools? So uh, public schools. uh, You know, we are working class family and and really couldn't afford to be in private schools. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so but we are, uh, as you know, a practicing Catholic family. So every day on the way to school in that 20 minute drive, we would each kid had to do a decade of the rosary on the way to school. And I didn't completely appreciate uh, this as a as a high school student. I mostly wanted to get through it and um, listen to Rick D's in the morning. But as an adult, it is uh, a gift that I believe that my mom gave to all of us children. It is a practice that I put in uh, to play every single day when I'm taking my girls to school, although our, our ride isn't quite as long, but they do do a full decade of the rosary every morning. And by Friday, we've gotten through the entire rosary. But it was on the, those car rides from Montebello to Hacienda Heights where I got my first taste of Republican politics. 
um, we would get off the freeway, off the 60 freeway right at Hacienda. And then at the corner of Colima and Hacienda, there was a Republican headquarters. And one day after we had finished up our intentions, I asked my mom if I could stop in and volunteer after school. As I mentioned before, my dad was a Teamster Democrat. My mom is probably what you'd refer to as a Reagan Democrat. And uh, needless to say, they were both a little surprised that I wanted to volunteer at the Republican headquarters. Uh, But she was (laughs) very open to it. And said, your brother has football on Thursdays. Go in there after school on Thursdays. I'll pick you up afterwards and we'll head back to Montebello. And so I did. I, I went in and I volunteered. When I went into this headquarters in Hacienda Heights, I met a woman by the name of Martha House. And Martha House is a woman who later became the statewide president of the California Federation of Republican Women. She was a regional vice chair on the state party board for Los Angeles County. She's just an all-around amazing person. And Martha took me under her wing. She made me feel like I was important. She empowered me to do and to get engaged with what we had going on in Hacienda Heights for the Republican Party. And it was really that first step that I had taken into going into politics as a full-fledged career over the next 20 years. Oh, wow. It it just shows the importance of taking, you know, of... It, it just shows the importance of young people and of and, and just, just nurturing that next transition. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, part of my job now when I'm out there talking to the masses, you know, I go to a lot of these clubs, these Republican women clubs, and I always tell this story because I think that at the heart of it, people still don't understand. And, and sometimes I don't even completely grasp it because I went from being in a role where um, the results mattered and the functionality and making sure day-to-day our goals were met um, on the campaign side of things. But also um, being in the position that I'm in now, being in the position that all of these women and other volunteers around our state are in, they have the opportunity to inspire someone in that way. And I think that they don't fully grasp the impact that they can have on, on our young people's lives. Oh no no I hear you. It, it's interesting because we we come from similar backgrounds. My my mother uh, worked in a dress factory and she and uh, she was in, in the IOGWU, and my dad was a coal miner who did did other jobs when the mines closed. And um, my grandfather was in the uh, United Mine Workers Union. And, and you know, some people say to us, especially Democrats, why aren't you a Democrat? And and, and you know, I I guess you were a part. Democrat. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 you know, I, I guess part of the reason now is just, you know, I, I, I didn't leave my party. My party left me. But, uh, but my mom was a conservative Democrat. My dad, uh, my dad was a Democrat. But to be honest with you, what you get in my town is, is, is the Democrats would, would, would come by at a certain time, get all the guys from the bars, pay them to go into the. I'd give them some drinks and have them go go in and vote, and then Republicans would would come and do 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 the same thing. And that was, I mean, that was coal region politics back in those days. You know, it's just it's just what you did. But uh, yeah, you know, and I think today, and um, Harriet, understanding where you're coming from as well, um, the party is just incredibly different, right? My parents have both since converted. My mom converted in 2000. And um, for her, it was the life issue. The life issue was so incredibly critical to her that she couldn't see herself um, a part of a party that didn't appreciate that within their platform. Um, and you my say dad, life. What are you referring to? Oh, she's a pro-life uh, Republican. Oh, okay. And um, for my dad, um, I think it was, you know, retirement. And when he got to that point where he was retired, and he was no longer um, in the mix of all of the labor issues. And, you know, he you know, could see things and be more critical. Um, I think that that was an opportunity for him to, um, you know, really appreciate what he was seeing and, you know, being incredibly informed on things. And he finally converted in 2012. And it was very similar in the sense that, he didn't feel that he had changed that much, but that the party had just gotten so incredibly progressive 
that it ne- it didn't line up with what his values were anymore. It, sure. At one point, he truly believed that it was about the working man, and then it became something else. No, 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 no. I hear you on that one. So, so, um, uh, can you tell us a little bit about then? So, um, uh, from when you met this woman as your mentor, uh, how, how did you progress? Yeah, how did you progress up the ladder then? And uh, and uh, and do you have any lessons for for younger people here? Interested in getting involved and maybe progressing up up the ladder, you know, you know, you know, local politics, state politics, national politics. Yeah. So first and foremost, um, this is advice that my mom gave me a very long time ago, and it was: you never have to ask permission to be great. And so um, I always, always did what was asked of me, and then I would look for other projects that I could work on. Um, and that was something that I carried, not just when I was a volunteer, but then when I became an intern, Martha House, um, I also, uh, you know, she was incredibly involved in our community, but I also went to school with a girl and her brother worked for Governor Wilson. And so we connected right away when he found out that I was volunteering When he was done working for Governor Wilson. He came back home to the San Gabriel Valley and worked for Assemblyman Bob Pacheco. And so uh, I was in college and I was looking for an internship. And that was the very first call that I made was to Assemblyman Bob Pacheco's office. I talked to my friend Roman Nava and asked if I could start an internship at the Assemblyman's office. It was such an incredible experience that I had working on the legislative side of things, um, mostly constituent affairs, right? It wasn't working up in the Capitol. It was working with uh, the people on the ground. So it translated very well to what I did politically. Okay. And then being able to connect and work at the um, the California Republican Party. I was an intern at the California Republican Party. I ran the information booth at our uh, party conventions. And so... Um, I just, every opportunity that I had to be a part of it, I always took it. And I think that what some from the millennial generation, even Generation Z, I'm at the the top end of that millennial generation, right? I'm born in 1980. So um, sometimes I get mixed in with them. Sometimes it's, uh, I'm Probably. Is Harriet to the bottom of that, right, Harriet? Is that right? I mean, you're... Yeah, I mean, I am uh, a young millennial slash really old Gen Zer, technically, I guess. <laughs> okay. uh, yeah, it's weird. It's weird. I'm definitely an old millennial. Um, but, you know, one of the, the issues that I've seen, you know, before I was chairman of the party, um, I ran field programs. I ran field operations. I probably had between 150 and 200 staff members over the last 15 years. And, um, you know, one of the the problems that we would always run into is that um, students that were still in college were looking to be paid for work. And that power of the internship fell by the wayside, I felt, in politics. And so um, I'm always looking for interns that are willing to do the work Um, and not necessarily be paid for it, not necessarily um, change, you know, have a big title change and that sort of thing. I just feel that there is so much more that you get out of it. And um, when you come into it without any, you know, expectations of what you, you know, deserve, I think that you can get so much more out of it. And people appreciate that much more. And they want to spend the time and effort to mentor you. Um, Martha House was an amazing mentor, um, but I have countless mentors that to this day I still utilize. And um, in the same thing with bosses and being there in those volunteer capacities and with the internships, it always positioned me for when the jobs became available. And that's the other thing that I would really uh, have uh, younger people focus on. Um, I never, ever worry about what the next is. Um, And in politics, that's not an easy thing to do, right? My dad worked for the same company for 32 years. And when I started in the workforce, um, you know, every nine months, I I had a new job. 
um, up until the time that I worked for Trailblazers. And so um, making sure that you focus on the now. If you are focusing on your job at hand, and I think this translates to any field now because there are a lot of changes within um, uh, positions now, more so than there were in, during my parents' generation. But if you're focusing on your job now, the next will take care of it. Um, you will be one of those people that people always said they were focused on what they were doing, they were getting done. If you are constantly worrying about what the next is, you can't possibly focus on what your job at hand is. So for me, every day, uh, I have a list of priorities. Um, to be a good wife, to be a good mother, and to be a good chairman of the California Republican Party. And that's where my focus is constantly because I'm worrying about what is going on right now. There's time to plan for the future, but focusing on the job at hand is incredibly critical. Oh, I hear you. I hear you. And and uh, Harriet, would you have any questions here too? I I, I don't want to. I, don't, uh, I can talk to Jessica all day here, and, and you know. No, uh, no. I mean, I, I'm I'm just really you know interested in listening. I think it's it's really you know important. I think the it's interesting because I think there's differing takes on the whole whether or not people should be compensated for their time. Um, I do understand the whole idea behind uh, being hungry and young and willing to put in the time. And I know, for example, some of my mentors like you know Gary Vaynerchuk and all that kind of stuff. They say they're very willing to help people when they kind of come to them saying, okay, I'm willing to literally do whatever it is for you. I will take you out for coffee. I will pay to get lunch with you. Just, I want to just learn from you and absorb what you have to offer. Um, and so I, I think it's an interesting dynamic between, uh, people wanting to obviously get, get compensated for the time and, and whatever they bring to things like campaigns and all that kind of stuff. And I think it's interesting because I'm not sure if people tend to work harder, for example, like you said, uh, people like that sounded yeah. like a train was was heading right for one of us i know jessica are you still there it sounded like literally a train yeah, was heading right can you guys both hear me no we can hear you yeah, yeah. yeah no, we're good um i yeah I, just, I think it's an interesting dynamic and i think you can kind of argue from both sides of the coin there but um but no i yeah. really appreciate your perspective. so um i think that like, for example, um, requirements for a job, I think, matter. And so, for example, you know, prior to this kind of surge, and I think that it started to happen right when I was in college. And um, prior to that, you know, if you wanted to be a field rep on a campaign, there would be a requirement that you had to have a college degree. Um, and then we started paying for field programs. Right. And so um, we needed more people. Right. And so then that decreased the amount of requirements that were held up for a particular position. Um, so, you know, it's certainly agree. And, you know, and that's why I think we run into so many of these problems with, um, you know, minimum wage increases and so forth. Um, you know, the skill of what you're doing and the requirements that are required should be dictated by the amount of money that you're making. I don't disagree with that. Sure. Hey, uh, um, Jessica, let me just, uh, you know, we like our audience to, to, to be very informed and, uh, and, and uh, hear from people f from a lot of different groups. And so uh, can you maybe talk a little bit about what does the chair of, of a state political party do? What do you typically do? And, uh, you know, how do you coordinate with with local groups and local voters and that? And, and maybe how do you how do you coordinate with the RNC in that, too? So maybe if you can talk a little bit about your role and, and yeah. you know, maybe, you know, I think some, you know, you know, some voters think, you know, some 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 people think that that uh, that. Uh, uh, that the party has money and the, the party determines who, who runs and, 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 you know, you're a party person and the party's going to give you money and all of a sudden you're going to be golden, but that's not how it works in, in our party. So uh, can you maybe, maybe talk a little bit about this role and, and what you do? Yeah, certainly. So, um, with the caveat that, um, we have 50 different state chairmen and, um, plus the U S territories and, none of us have the exact same job. 
we all have different states that are run differently. Now, California would probably, most people around the country think, oh, blue state, you know, not a lot happening there when it comes to Republicans. Um, But we still have the largest budget of any state party in the country. And uh, is that Republican and Democrat, do you think, or, or, or just one? Uh, uh, I don't know about Democrats. It's certainly not the California Democrat Party. They have a much larger budget than we do. <laughs> but um, I'll, I'll have to look at that number. But certainly Republican parties, um, we have the largest budget. Um, so with that, um, about 70% of my time is spent on fundraising. And I work incredibly close with our other three leaders, Assemblywoman Leader uh, Republican leader Marie Waldron, Senate Republican leader Shannon Grove, and of course, House Republican leader Kevin McCarthy. And uh, the work that we all do together is critical to being able to raise the money that is necessary to be competitive in elections here in California. And while people don't necessarily think of the California of California as a battleground state, when it comes to the presidential or even some of the, the U.S. Senate races that we've seen in the last 10 years. Um, what we are a battleground is for winning back the House. And, you know, Randy, one of my uh, biggest uh, uh, goals for this year is to make sure that the Speaker of the House comes from California and that they are also a Republican. And so, uh, you know, we've got seven congressional seats here that we are looking to take back. And um, so a big part of my job is making sure that we have the resources to be able to do that and to be competitive. So about 70% of my time is probably spent on fundraising. In addition to that, uh, there is a vision that I set forth when I was elected. Um, First and foremost, I wanted to be a united party. Um, there are too few of us here in California. We're currently the third largest party affiliation in the state. We've got Democrats ahead of us, declined to states, and then the Republican Party. And so for me, the uh, circular firing squad isn't something that was productive, um, and it certainly didn't help us to grow our numbers. Um, so the pushing from either side um, needed to stop. And so I've always really tried to lead by example on that, in the, on that front. I never talk badly about other Republicans um, because I believe that what's happening here in Sacramento and what is happening to our state um, that has happened under super duper majorities in both the, uh, both the houses of our legislature and the governor's seat for the better part of a decade has led to this decline for California. And um, we can talk about what Democrats are doing on the policy side all day, all night, and still have things to talk about in the next day that we don't need to spend our time talking about who is or isn't a good enough Republican. Um, so my, my message is genuinely, uh, generally very optimistic And I truly believe that California Republicans are at a turning point. Excuse me, Californians are at a turning point. And and by that, California Republicans as well. I think that people are incredibly fed up with the fact that we have the highest poverty rate in the entire country, that we have the highest homeless population in the country, that we have a housing crisis that's literally making people decide between staying here in California and moving to another state where their dollar can go much further. We have a K through 12 education system that is failing our children and in our most vulnerable communities. And I believe that, that these individuals within these vulnerable communities that have been neglected by our party over the years, I don't believe that they are voting for Democrats because Democrats have helped them to live their best lives. And in fact, in any metric that you would look at, they would say the exact opposite. Democrats have not helped them to live their best lives. But Democrats have shown up in these communities and Democrats have made them feel like they care about their problems. And so we needed to do a better job on our part at the California Republican Party of A, re-engaging in these communities 
and B, making sure that the message of what's happening up in Sacramento is affecting their lives so much more every day. So a huge part of my job is also the communication side of things, making sure that our local people know what's going on. Um, We have 58 counties here in California. And while each one of those county parties is a part of the California Republican Party, they're also completely autonomous organizations with their own set of bylaws and their own membership rules and and so forth. So um, we do a, a monthly call with all of our county chairs to make sure they're engaged and know exactly what's happening at the California Republican Party. We do a weekly memo to all of our membership that talks about what's happening up in Sacramento so that we can make sure that this is getting down to all of the people in these different communities. We do a rate, we do regular training for our volunteers around the state. We've engaged at a level that we haven't before. At our last convention in September, we made it a training convention, which we've never done before. We had 35 different trainings where people could be trained on everything from communications, to fundraising, to engaging in Latino or Hispanic or Asian communities, to putting together a team leader program. And we're really excited about the work that we've done. And um, so in a nutshell, that is the main focus of what I, I do. You know, big part of it is raising money and making sure we have the resources. And the other big part is making sure that we're communicating what's happening at the party and making sure that the infrastructure is there. But it all leads to one goal. And that one goal is winning um, because results matter. And if we don't win more races here in California, um, we may get past that turning point and be at that point of no return to fix our state. No, oh, I hear you. I hear you. Uh, um, well, let me ask you maybe what we do inherit. I, I don't know if you've got, you know, a. Uh, was the questions here, but but maybe what we do is we go down some of the main issues in California, and I know as 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 Jessica, you, you and I have talked a, a number of times. Uh, you know, uh, you know, we've talked about sort of a, a a Republican response to this or a Republican response to that. But but you know, what do you see the role right now? Do you you know, do you see your role as being both the you know both organized in the party and then I guess being a voice for the party right now too because isn't it correct that 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 you will sometimes I want to say you do an alternate state of the union a state of the state message when Governor Newsom uh, gives his but uh, how do you view that right now so so uh, you know you know are you taking that on yourself then or is uh, it, you know um, Senator Grove or uh, Assemblywoman uh, Waldron are are they doing those those sort of alternate state of the state addresses or or yeah press so all, all three of us do do responses to uh, the state of the states and let me start with that uh, the role so certainly yes I do see that not just as one of my responsibilities. Um, Randy and Harriet, but also as one of my opportunities as the chairwoman of the California Republican Party. Um, You talked about in the beginning, first woman, first millennial, first Latina. Um, You left out best hair, but I'm going to put it out there, Randy. I do have the best hair of any chairman ever at the California Republican Party. You probably do. I mean, I think you do. That's really good. But um, it took us 140 years to get here. And what Democrats and the mainstream media have said about our party over the years and the narrative that they have pushed out there is that we are the party of old, white, sometimes angry men. And you know, when we go into our, um, our board meetings, Randy, we've got 23 members on our board, almost half of which are women. We've had five Latinos on our board since I was elected. We have an African-American. We've had two openly gay men. We have an Taiwanese immigrant as our vice chair. We've got a kick-butt Punjabi uh, Indian-American as our national committee woman. And we have the greatest part of all of that is that none of us ran on being the first anything. But when you look at the membership of our board and the leadership, not just 
where I am at the chairmanship, but the entire board, it laughs in the face of that narrative that we are one thing and or that we are mono anything. And so I think that it's a great opportunity, not just for me, but for the rest of our, our board members as well to be out there and to be the voice for our party. And it's, it's an exciting uh, part of history to be a part of, but it's a great opportunity. And I do believe truly that it is my responsibility. So when the, the governor comes out, not just with his state of the state, but you know, generally when they put together, we put together a list of bills that he should veto. Um, anytime something gets passed in the legislature, you know, you know both of our leaders, um, they're up there in an, an incredibly tough climate. All of our, our Republican legislators are, right? And if they want to get anything meaningful passed, right, uh, they have to work with Democrats to be able to do it. They have to have those relationships so that they can get something meaningful passed. And not just be the party of no, but actually go out there and fix some of these problems. Um, A great example of that was uh, Assemblywoman, soon to be Senator Melissa Melendez. And when we went through the Me Too movement and for four years, she had tried to get whistleblower protections through that legislature. And for four years, California Democrats had, you know, basically killed those bills. And finally, when we went through this entire Me Too movement, it was her bill that she brought forward again. And because of the relationship she had developed, was able to get this bill passed that actually put together a workplace conduct unit um, that protected both the accused and the accusers. Um, So it, it really was, you know, something that was phenomenal. But they can't constantly be attacking these members that they're working with or the governor who has to ultimately sign these bills. Um, but I'm, you know, I don't find our governor dreamy. Um, I have no problem. You don't like his hair? I, I, I don't, don't, like I don't. Hair? you know, I get that, you know, he says these things with a gleam in his smile and the sparkle in his eye and you want to believe him, but Every single thing that he says, it's just like, wow, when are people going to wise up that he doesn't mean what he says and he never follows through. And the fixes to things like our housing crisis, like our homeless crisis, like our failure to really be able to take our kids to the next level on K through 12 education. When are people going to get it that he doesn't follow through on these things? And so I can say things that they can't necessarily do, that they can't necessarily say. And I'm completely comfortable in that role. Um, So I not only see it as a responsibility, but also an opportunity for our family. Excuse me, for our party. For sure. And I mean, obviously, I, I, I do agree with you, obviously, even though I am a Democrat, I think that there's a lot left to be desired in terms of how Gavin Newsom is is working to effectively govern California. And I know, I know, you know, the the Republican Party and Democratic Party alike says don't look at a person's you know personal conduct to really gauge whether or not they're they're good at their their job or whatever. But I think you know you look at a person as a whole, and I think his conduct in his personal life as well leaves a lot to be desired uh, in terms of the morality of the person that we want governing uh, California to the the rate that, that he does. And I know my dad and I have talked about as well that I feel like his, um, the way in which he's attempted to deal with homelessness just feels like it's continuously asking for more money and then not really getting Get your hand out of my pocket, Gavin. Oh no, my God. I know. I'm not, not to say, cause I think it's very ignorant to say, oh, he hasn't done anything, you know, great for the country or the, the state at all. Um, he's done a lot in terms of helping to reform, uh, animal, the, you know, the being of animals and all that kind of stuff. I'm a, I'm a big fan of the, the shelter, um, decisions this, that he's made and the anti-kill shelter and all that kind of stuff. But regarding how he's dealt with the issue of homelessness, um, it, it leaves a lot to be desired. So, I mean, how do you think, Jessica, I'm curious, uh, how do you think that we're going to be able to, I don't think you can solve the the crisis of homelessness in California, but how do you think we can effectively deal with it better than we are now? Yeah. So generally speaking, I leave the policy up to the policymakers. Um, But as a a person that is watching what's going on, we've seen the homeless 
uh, epidemic here in California, and it truly has gotten to epidemic proportions, grow in every single region of our state. There is one region where we've actually seen a decrease in homelessness over the last two years, and that's in San Diego. And Mayor Faulkner has just really, you know, and it took it getting to a major crisis level, you know, in that city for them to be able to really attack it. Um, but the focus that they have put on bridge shelters, on uh, mental health help, helping veterans to get benefits that they didn't even know they were eligible for, making sure that there's job training, making sure that there is addiction help, and really focusing on um, the compassionate side of what can be done for our homeless citizens here in California, I think has been critical. We've had 34 different cities come down and visit in San Diego to see what they were doing right. Um, we had the White House sent, you know, Housing and Urban Development um, and uh, HHS over to see what was going on in San Diego. And in fact, um, Secretary Carson came back a second time to see what was happening in San Diego because what they're doing there is right. Um, you know, we've seen that incremental change in the right direction, whereas in every other part, um, I'm from LA, your dad knows, I love my daughters, I love my yeah. city, but I hate what it has become. And you could say the same thing about San Francisco. I'm in Sacramento once a week. I can't tell you how many homeless people I have to um, walk past when I'm going to our office there in, in Sacramento. And, you know, the Democrats will tell you that, you know, it's not compassionate to move uh, these individuals off the street. And, you know, Mayor Faulkner always says it's, it's not compassionate to let them die on the streets. And so I think that, you know, that is probably the best approach that we have right now. And when you talk about, I'm gonna bring this full circle. When you talk about, uh, you know, the, the, the governor and what he says, or, you know, the best way to indicate what someone's gonna do in the future is what they've done already in the past. When he was mayor of San Francisco, he made the bold, uh, stance that he was going to eradic eradicate chronic homelessness within 10 years. And in 2014, um, he not only didn't, it didn't budge a bit, um, but it actually moved in the wrong direction. And um, what we've seen with Mayor Faulkner is the exact opposite. Um, you know, he hasn't made any bold predictions about it, but he got to work. He rolled up his sleeves and he got the work done. Oh, I totally agree. I think Mayor Faulkner, I mean, I, that's the whole thing. Like that's what my dad and I kind of talk about on this show too. And I know that we're obviously going to differ in, in terms of how we view this, but I don't ever think you should just vote for a party and say things like just vote red or vote blue. I think you need to take it on a person by person basis, a politician by politician basis. And regardless of Mayor Faulkner's political affiliation, he has always had my support because I truly believe he is the best, you know, person to, to be the mayor of, of San Diego. I think he has all of our best interests at heart. And I think what he's done in terms of the parking lot uh, shelters, his whole goal is to get people, you know, in homes again and to help them with their temporary homelessness and to, to be solutions oriented. And so, um, yeah, I just, I just think that I completely agree with what you've said. I know we talked about this as well with LA, LA in terms of the spending that they've done on homelessness. Um, there's actually a, a negative correlation between uh, the more money that they've spent thus far trying to improve homelessness, the worse it's gotten which is just mind blowing. Um, I, I know I agree too with San Francisco. I mean, I was there for an internship, I think in 2012 and I was on market street. I was staying at a place nearby and I just had the worst crippling anxiety walking down the street at, uh, like 18 years old and just being screamed at by homeless people in like aggressive manners. They were just openly smoking weed, which I don't have an issue with, but I just, I don't know. It just was a whole weird atmosphere and it was very uncomfortable. I did not feel safe. And I have to say, I spent time in New York. I've spent time in Boston. There's a lot of homeless there, but it's just different in California. I don't know if it's because our weather is nicer. <laughs> people are just more aggressive in California. In New York, homeless people kind of keep to themselves. 
same with Boston. Um, it's just different here and, and we definitely need a solution. And my dad and I have said, this isn't really a partisan issue. This shouldn't be a, a democratic or a Republican issue. This is a issue that affects everybody. Um, no, absolutely. And, yeah, this is a human compassion issue. And I, I, I know, you know, um, obviously what you'd said is Democrats don't think it's compassionate to take people off the streets. I think that there just needs to be a, a clear goal of exactly what's going to happen if we do, how we're going to handle it in terms of mental health, addiction. Oftentimes those two things go hand in hand. Uh, Joe Leventhal the podcast and, and talked extensively about that, which I thought was very, very interesting. And uh, San Diego with the court system that we have, Dad, what was it called? Particularly, Roberta Winston and CJ Modi talked to us about this. It was a, it's a newer thing that they're trying out in San Diego. Um, they're trying almost to have a homeless court instead of you, you, yeah, you know, trying people in traffic court. I mean, yeah, it's almost like you know having cool. having mediation and the like. And I, I, I mean, really, you know, one of the things Harriet and I have been talking a lot about is is, you know, good government. And I know Jessica, I, I mean, look, you, you, you know, you know, I know one of the things I've always wanted was I, I, I want to make a difference. And for me, I want to be, be able to work with those governmental leaders who can do that. And for me, the party system was a way to do that. And, you know, I know we have a lot of people in California who, who are, you know, uh, I mean, not affiliated with the party. Uh, and I know that they're the second largest group, you know, but, but, you know, one of the things that I've always said to people like that is, you know, you know, it's, it's okay to be independent, but at the same time, I still think, I, I still think parties are relevant. I, I, I think parties are relevant in that they, they organize interests and, and they really help, help, uh, you know, help push initiatives in that. But what do you think in the future right now? And, and, you know, I don't want to, I know you're the head of our party right now, but, but, you know, what's your thoughts? I, I, I mean, it seems like, you know, since like California is always a bellwether out there. So the California, you know, sort of from a political standpoint, it happens first in California. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, you know, you know, to me, and I've been a Democrat and I was a Democrat from 18 until 34 years of age. And, and now I'm a Republican, but, you know, for me, I can't imagine the world you know, our political system without parties yet. I mean, what are you seeing out there? I, I, I mean, you, do you think we'll be more party oriented, less party oriented or, you know? Yeah, think? I think that there, I mean, and there's certainly right now, I, I do think that the space for the party uh, is relevant, but I think what really drives it is the, you know, the top of the party. So, you know, for example, um, the thriving that our party did from 2003 to 2010 was incredibly different, right? Because we had Republican governor who not only was a Republican governor, but he also happened to be a movie star. And so um, the leadership does matter. And so when we are able to recruit a candidate for, you know, I, and you and I have talked about this before, I don't believe that the quickest way to balance in California is by picking off legislative seats one at a time. Um, I think that that is part of setting the table and showing that we have the capacity to do that. But um, I believe that our quickest way to balance is being able to recruit a candidate that can run and win in 2022. So we have to set the table in 2020, which is going to be consisting of Uh, working on our voter registration, picking up a couple of these seats, whether it's legislatively or congressional side of of things. But I believe that, you know, there will emerge a a leader. And I think that that helps with the relevance of the party. It certainly helps with the, um, the strength of the brand, which I think is incredibly important. And that translates to more wins on the legislative and congressional side of things. Well, cool. And well, you know, um, uh, if you were to have just 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 maybe a you know a couple words for Governor Newsom right now, and and, and you know we have a segment of the show called Hey Gavin, where <laughs> I normally go off on some topic about about Gavin. What the hell are you thinking? I mean, what yeah. would you what would you say? I I, I mean, it, it, you know, you know, it, it seems to me he's a frat. He's sort of like a frat boy who, who you know, he wants to do well, but he he just doesn't know how. 
I, I mean, he has all the money in the world right now. <laughs> I mean, but, but what would you say to him? Yeah, so I think that I would say to him, certainly on the policy side of things, if the housing crisis here in California is truly your number one priority, then you need to do things that are actually going to incentivize more houses being built. And that's going to mean rolling back regulations. And until you do that, there is not going to be incentive for individuals. You can have all of the goals in the world that you want, and you do have, but you're going to continue to fail on them. You're going to continue to fail on those goals if you do not make it easier for people to build housing here in California. Yeah, very, very well said. Herod, would you have any... Uh, we have about five minutes left. I know, Dad, before you, you sure. have to jump off um, and everything as well. So, I mean, why don't we just kind of finish off, if you're okay with that, if, uh, you know, kind of with, with what topic that's on everybody's minds right now, which is coronavirus, and just kind of get your, your opinion on everything going on. I think that we're, we're doing um, I'm Sorry, Harriet, we're having a little bit of problems hearing you. Oh. Um, okay, I'm sorry. You Can you hear me? Okay? Yeah. Yeah, there you go. Okay. No, I was just going to say, um, you know, we've got five minutes left. Why don't we talk about what's obviously on everybody's minds, coronavirus, and just talk about kind of how it's being handled in, in California and kind of what you think is going to kind of happen from here in terms of regulations and restrictions. And I know, I know there's no way to know for sure, but just uh, we've been asking all of our guests to have come on um, in the last couple of days, you know, how, how this is being handled and, and what you kind of see is going to happen moving forward. Hey, Jessica, yeah, just go ahead. So first and foremost, um, the best thing that I believe, I, I can hear you guys. Can Is it okay if I yeah, speak? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Right, yeah, yeah. Hello? Yeah. Yes, yeah. I can't hear you anymore. Oh, okay. Oh, no. Perfect. <laughs> we'll edit that out. <laughs> That's okay. okay. So first, we're good? Yeah. Yeah, we can yeah we're good. Yeah. Okay, perfect. I'm going to go ahead. First and foremost, what I would say is that the greatest thing that I believe has come out of this is the cooperation that we've seen between states like California and the federal government, right? Uh, these are two leaders who, uh, for the better part of the last two years, have been in a Twitter war. And when it came down to solving problems and getting the resources that were necessary for California, these two individuals have worked very seamlessly with one another. So I have really appreciated both the president and our governor working together to fix the problem that we have here and get resources to the, the people that need them, especially on the front line. So I think that is the best thing that has come out of it. And we've seen that time and time again in our history and even in our recent history, right? When we had the fires in Paradise in Malibu, watching the president and later McCarthy, along with then Governor Jerry Brown and Governor-elect Newsom, we saw them come together to, to view the sites, to see what resources were needed, to come together and get resources here. When we had the earthquake in Trona, same with the governor and the president, everyone working together. Um, that is when we are at our best. We are at our best when we find ways to work together at the legislative level, at the national level. And that is the best thing that has come out of all of this. Um, I am a believer in, I've watched um, what can happen in the exponential sense for this crisis that we're in right now. And I am a big believer in the, you know, that two week period that we're all currently in where we're trying to flatten this curve as much as possible. Now, I'm also a believer in the fact that some areas are going to be affected in different ways. And when you have a state like California, sometimes the uh, different areas are going to be containing the virus in a way that other areas aren't able to. And so much like on a national level, the president has given the authority to, not given the authority to, but has ceded the authority to the local areas, the different states, to come up with their own plans to make their own decisions on sheltering in place and shutting things down, I think we probably will need to do the same thing here in California. Um, I am concerned about the economic 
uh, you know, uh, realization that we're going to come to with having, you know, a huge part of the economy economy closed. Um, so that's certainly a concern. First and foremost, though, we have to come on the side of people and saving people right now. And so I'm hopeful that we will get through these two weeks and that we'll be able to reassess and reevaluate. I can tell you my children go to two different schools and um, one is in a public school district and one is um, a part of the archdiocese here. And um, they have made different decisions on how long they'll be out of school. One will be out until May the 4th and the other one will be out until April 20th. And that will pend, that will be pending changes on how the virus is progressing, if we're able to flatten that curve and, you know, come out of this ahead of some of these other countries. But um, if you have a friend that's in Italy, um, that's on their Instagram streaming about what's happening there, um, it's a scary, scary situation. And we want to make sure that we are dealing with this in the most appropriate way that we are protecting our most vulnerable populations, including our elderly and people with pre-existing conditions. Um, so we need to do what's best for people first, and then everything, I believe, will come together after this. We are an incredibly resilient country. Um, we are best when we are united. And I think that that's what some of these crises do for us. It allows us to be um, not so partisan, and find ways to work together for the better of our entire country. Now it's amazing now when some, you know, when some Democratic Congresswomen or, or Congresspersons, and also some Hollywood celebrities who are Democrats, come out and support the president right now. It's it's just good all around. And I know Nathan Fletcher down here is is speaking a lot with um, uh, Kristen Gaspar and Jim Desmond and that. And so there, there does seem like there's a lot of, uh, a lot of bipartisanship going on right now, which is, which is really great. You know, and I think from a Republican standpoint, we, we look at some of these, uh, some of this COVID-19 stimulus bills. And I'm like, Oh, serious. You want to put that in here too? And Oh, why do you have to put that in there? But at the same time, look, it is part of the political process. Nobody ever said democracy would be easy. Uh, Jessica, well, I'll tell you what, uh, uh, you know, it was, it was great, great having you on this show. And Harriet, I, I don't know, do you have anything else for uh, Jessica? You know, always nice to hear from you. Yeah, like I say, please, please keep us in the mind in the, you know, in the future then to love to have you back at some point. And uh, uh, our goal here is, you know, as we've been talking about is, is, is for a lot of us, politics is, you know, politics is the way we get good government. And so the uh, and so I know we spend a lot of time in the party making sure that we have good candidates and and, uh, and people who who can who can represent our brand effectively. And uh, and thank you. Thank you for all you do right now. And thank you for doing all you do and and being at home and having to take take care of a lot of things. And we know family comes first right now and community also. So uh, thank you again for all, all you do. Any last words, Jessica? Well, no, thank you both. I had such a great time. And Harriet, it's such a pleasure to meet you over the phone. Uh, but I had a great time with you, and I'd be happy to come back. All right. I'll tell you what. All the best, then. Stay safe out there, and, and we'll all get through this together. All right, Sounds everybody. Good, guys. Thanks again. All, all right. the best. All right. Thanks.